Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast. This episode discusses abuse, which may be triggering to some people. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent the opinions of Red Table Talk Productions, iHeartMedia, or their employees. When I decided to go no contact is because we met up after the breakup and we had gone out to eat and he embarrassed me in front of a bakery a young lady mentioned that we looked cute and she wanted to call her husband because we were such a vibe. And he announced to the bakery that she just broke up with me. Mm. And that's when I was like, you're really unpredictable right now. And you are just grasping mm. like this is this is wild. Like you're not telling them why we broke up. <laughs> you know, you're telling a bunch of random people I'm like, that was embarrassing. He laughed in my face when I told him it was embarrassing. When we think about narcissistic relationships, we think about fast, exciting, love bombing. And the standard story is that you get so dazzled by the excitement that you miss the red flags. But what if you start with a friendship? For years, many people don't think they could get into a toxic relationship with someone who has been a long-term friend because they believe they would have seen all of the red flags. Not so fast. Today, we are going to hear the story of Shala, whose long friendship turned into a less long relationship. A friendship that went from, I want to see you all the time, come over anytime, to a relationship where the talk was, I need my space. Maybe the things that look like quirks in a friendship become downright toxic in a relationship. Whatever it is, she has a story of doing the right things, being friends, setting boundaries, but still getting to a very confusing, hurtful, and gaslighted relationship. Let's hear Shala's story. Shala, it is such a pleasure to see you again and to have you on. Where I'd like to begin with you is I'd like to have you tell us 
the story of your relationship with your now ex-boyfriend because it started as a friendship first. So could you take us to the very beginning when you literally first met him and sort of lay out the entire story of the relationship, even from back then? Yes, met at a friend's party. It did appear as though he probably was interested in me, but, you know, I wasn't really too concerned with that. We became friends on social media. So, you know, started chatting via Facebook. And then he invited me to his Friendsgiving, which I thought was a kind gesture. Like I said, we have mutual friends. And because I was newly back home, it just made me feel like, okay, I'm becoming a part of the community again and went to the Friendsgiving. And then that's how the friendship progressed. So part of the friendship, we went out to the movies at one point. Admittedly, I did suspect that there was some interest, but there there was never any stated interest. We hung out with a couple friends of mine and I did that to vet him just to see if I would be Mm -hmm. interested in going that route and essentially decided not to go that route, whether he was interested or not, just because I had heard some stories about his dating life, not too much, but he seemed to be like obsessed with love. Oh. And so I had a concern that I was going to be like plugged into this love story that he has in his mind. So he considers himself a love enthusiast. Then pandemic hit. So the majority of our friendship was virtual, whether that's just chatting via social media, texting, When people were loud outside a little bit more, we hung out, went for walks in the park, that sort of a thing. He definitely would send flirtatious messages every now and again. I didn't really take them seriously. Definitely like a lot of commenting on my posts. And I remember (laughs) there was an instance where there was a cute kid on an Instagram post and he sent it to me and he's like, our kid. So looking back... My own self-reflection, I'm like, were y'all really friends or were, do you know what I mean? Just because you put him in the friend zone doesn't mean you were in a real, like a friendship. Do you know what I'm saying? He clearly had other intentions for you. And just because you put him in that box doesn't necessarily mean that he's put you in that box. It wasn't until 2021, I dated a young man from L.A., for a few months that didn't work out. And around the time of that breakup, maybe like a month or two after, that's when our hanging out started revving up. And then around September was when things started to gravitate towards a more romantic side. Then I started to reconsider. Okay, you've known him for a couple years. You do see that he's like consistently sweet. It is clear that he's interested in you, even if he hasn't particularly said, hey, let's date. Although I will say around the end of that summer, he did see me on a dating app and he was like, oh, we should get off this app and just date. So that was like his first time actually saying, like, I want to date you. And that's kind of when I started considering it. Yeah. I got a (laughs) lot of questions starting with that Halloween. Okay, so 2019 Halloween, you meet him. Okay. Yes. A couple of things jumped out at me that are so interesting. It's not like you'd just been traveling. You weren't looking to meet someone. No. This was a friend. You met a person. They seem cool. You think, let's hang out. He was definitely giving you mm, positive attention and vibes in a way that might have been in a gray area. Can I ask you this? Because two years is a long time to be friends with someone. In that two years, was he dating anyone or was he in a relationship? Actually, when we started going towards the direction of romance, he was, in his words, casually dating a young woman. He had been seeing her for a few months, but some of the problems in that relationship were around love languages and his primary love languages are physical touch and words of affirmation. And she doesn't do physical touch at all. I know the love language framework is very popular. I believe that I personally may be an acts of service gal. Love bombing for me consists of someone bringing in the trash cans. But that said, 
The love language framework can also get a little tricky with someone who has a narcissistic personality style. They may need lots of validation and write that off to, my love language is words of affirmation. Be wary when someone starts laying out their love languages as a rationale for demands that may seem unreasonable and one-sided. She even, in his words, thought she might be asexual. So (laughs) him exploring that relationship again, I always thought was quite odd considering that these are things that are really important to you in a relationship and you're not, you didn't get it the first round. Why are you back in that relationship? Can I ask you this, Shala, Mm -hmm. is that he told you that she said that she might be asexual. It's not like you heard that from her. Did not hear that from Mm. her. I didn't know her at all, actually. Mm. He did not break things off with her until November. And I remember thinking to myself, you should probably take some time before you move into your next thing. But by that point, I think I was emotionally invested. But there were some other things that he said to me. He compared me to her a lot of times. So he would say, I love that we can have vulnerable conversations. We can talk about anything. Essentially, he was only happy when he was with me. And he's miserable with this young lady that he mm. <laughs> he went back to. He's miserable. He would feel bad ending it because then he would look like a bad guy because he mm. was the one who reestablished a relationship. So he's willing to suffer in order to make sure that no one else gets hurt. That was kind of like his thing. I'm willing to forfeit my happiness for other people's happiness. It's funny. It's always so easy to analyze these stories backwards, Shala. Mm -hmm. This dude is trying to fit himself for stained glass. I'm such a good guy that I don't want to let someone down, so I'm staying with this person. It's all a little bit martyry, you know? But to me, because sadly I live in the dark shadows of narcissistic (laughs) relationships, something that's happening here in your story is so interesting to me is this, what I call early triangulation. What he was Mm -hmm. doing, she doesn't do this, but you do this. She didn't do Mm -hmm. that, you do this. She says she's asexual, you're so warm. Whatever it may be, you're vulnerable, she's not. Mm -hmm. That triangulation is almost like an interesting trademark of narcissistic relationships. Because for a lot of us, For a lot of us, even historically in our lives, let's say a person grew up in a household where the parent was always pitting the siblings against each other. You wanted to be the one who came out on top. That idea Mm -hmm. of living in triangles is often what makes us vulnerable. But there is something in us to be chosen. We want to be the one who's chosen. And what these folks are able to do so expertly is set this tone of, I'm so lucky I met you. This is very different than what I'm in. And you can see that even in other circumstances, Like if somebody is in a marriage, they'll say, my wife is not affectionate. My husband doesn't talk to me. We never have sex. Da-da-da-da. What a blessing that I've met you. But I'm such a good person. I can't imagine hurting them. The setup is actually quite Machiavellian, if you want to view it that way. And it is Mm -hmm. a way for us to feel like we are more special than someone. It's a profound dynamic that at the time is so confusing until, that's why we do this podcast, can tell anyone as soon as you get compared to someone else, the first thing that should be going through your head is triangulation because Mm -hmm. you're you and you're not that person. And if they're comparing you to that person, there's something that still hasn't been fully worked through in the way he was. I have another question for you, had there not been a pandemic. In your case, how do you think that amount of time where you couldn't have been in the same place as him and had to have had, had it be virtual? Do you think you missed anything in him because it was more virtual than you spending a lot more time in person? I definitely think so. I feel as though, if (laughs) not to compare, but <laughs> when I think about the the friendships that I generally do have, the depth of friendships that I have, if I'm honest with myself, like the friendship wasn't really <laughs> as deep. We talk virtually, so we're friends. But I wonder if I was too quick to give him that title. Do you know what I mean? But yes, I would say if I had spent more time around him, I might have seen more signs. I might have Mm -hmm. had an opportunity to see him 
in relationships throughout that time. I don't know. (laughs) It could have also sped things up. Yeah. I think one of the challenges is the longer the friendship, And especially if the friendship is something you enjoy, Mm -hmm. the more likely that once the relationship begins, a person starts wondering, it's got to be me because we were friends for such a long time. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, if you will, risks of a long-term friendship is you think we've been friends for a long time. So the tendency is to put it on ourselves. And then you said something mm-hmm. else really interesting to me. I'd never heard anyone say something like this. So that's why I, I, it jumped out at me. You called him a love enthusiast. That's what he calls I, himself. I'm telling you, Paula, <laughs> every single red flag alarm in me right now looks like a Christmas tree. I was like, what? No love enthusiast, run away. So that yeah. was fascinating to me for many reasons. First of all, what even, because to me, love enthusiast, uh, this is how I read it, okay? And you can tell me because you saw the posts and the how he talked about it was he almost just wanted like these snazzy dopamine feel-good parts of love because love is also the kind of who picks up the gallon of milk part of love. But I think that idea of being a love enthusiast really mm-hmm. almost felt like he was always on this quest for that mm-hmm. brand new feeling of meeting someone and that whole early phase of a relationship. And the other reason that's so interesting to me is that's why this two-year friendship you're in, if somebody's a love enthusiast, you would think that they'd always need to be in a relationship or always on the quest for a relationship. So it would feel like that questing would always be a part of somebody who is a love enthusiast. Did that ever give you concern, even that title of love enthusiast? It did, yeah. When I met him in 2019, that was one of the reasons I brushed off the possibility of Mm. dating him. I was like, it just, I don't, I've never seen a guy post this much about love and like what he wants. And it would be like memes about people cuddling and it's like, oh, I just want this. And I know that he's, there's nothing wrong with being on apps, but I definitely know he was constantly on that search to find (laughs) the one, if you will. He's also into film and loves rom-coms. And interestingly enough, I didn't realize until we dated, a lot of his favorite rom-coms are of men who are like really terrible, like womanizers, just really mean. And then they meet some woman and that woman pushes them away like for a while and then they ultimately fall in love and everything's happy. And his story about us, when we started dating, he would always tell people that I curved him for two years, which basically means I brushed him off for two years, even Mm. though he was trying to date me. But he never fully stated intention. But That was like his story of how we started dating. And it was cause for concern before we started dating as well. But I think at that point, like I recognized my vulnerabilities at the beginning of that relationship, having just been essentially rejected by another guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being touched deprived and haven't dated in forever. And here's this person who clearly is into me and Mm -hmm. knows me and I feel safe with them. They love everything about me, even the things that I don't necessarily love about myself or I'm learning to love about myself. So yeah, Definitely saw some things, but just kept pushing because like, this is my friend and I also would like to be loved. <laughs> so I'm so glad you also brought that up. That one-two punch of being rejected to being desired mm-hmm. is such a powerful transfer moment, right? Yeah. Because you're hurt from something and whatever that prior breakup looks like, it doesn't feel good if someone else initiated it, whatever the mm-hmm. reasons were, even if it wasn't a good relationship for you. There is no Band-Aid, there is no warm bath in the world that feels better than going from being rejected to being desired. Mm. It is also the single most dangerous time because it's exactly when somebody who's an operator can really get in there. And you're saying you're vulnerable. I would argue that you're human. I think every single one of us would feel that, oh, I feel like I'm living in a dark, cold room and this person is shining the sun on me. Why wouldn't somebody turn to that? And your comment about the rom-coms, about the bad guy gone good, and somebody who almost is like hard to get and they get them. 
girl, those films should have some sort of warning label on them. Mm-hmm. So that says, this film runs the risk of you falling for love bombing and being played by a narcissist. It's like a new rating system. Rated PG-13 and this film may put you at risk for a narcissistic relationship. We will be right back with this conversation with Shala. Talk about the transition of going from friendship to romantic relationship. I think this is a really important thing for listeners to understand because what we always think of a narcissistic relationship is you meet someone, dating app, bar, whatever, love bomb, and you're off to the races. What we don't hear as much is a person who was friends with someone for a long time. Then they get into a romantic relationship because that's usually not how this goes with somebody with this kind of personality. But it did in your case. And I think that that's what's unique about your story. So two years, friends, even though he was a love enthusiast and whatever other strange things. I mean, the love enthusiast, the triangulation, whatever that was. He also has a persona name that he created in college. Persona name. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a, I am kind of an old lady, so I don't even know what a persona name is. I suppose if I had one, it would be Dr. Disorganized, but that's the best (laughs) I could come up with. But what is that about? Talk to me about this persona name for a minute. So essentially he would call this name if he ever had to deal with hard emotions. So let's say someone passed away or whatever if he's feeling sad or if he's struggling with something emotionally and he's like, I'm, I'll be fine. I'm such, such and such. such. <laughs> Interesting. You know, or like, it's okay. I'm such and such. Or like if he's done something really sweet for me, I like snacks. I like sugar. He bought like this packet of high chew and had it delivered to his house when he knew I would be there. Now that I look back, I was like, oh, that was so sweet. You didn't have to do that. The same vibe. I'm like, why did you do that? He's like, oh, because I'm such and such. Ah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So like if he does anything romantic or if he wants to avoid a negative emotion, then (laughs) he refers to this persona that Mm -hmm. he's created for himself, I guess. That's really interesting. It's almost like a a mild form of a dissociation, or it's definitely compartmentalization. Yes. He actually would brag about his ability to compartmentalize. (laughs) And even have a name. Like, it's it's almost like, this is the part, this is where I'm parking all my emotions. It's fascinating, too, because even that idea of, I'm going to give you a gift, things like that, that's not even that vulnerable, but it is vulnerable, right? Because somebody can reject your gift. So it's any place where he could potentially be brought down, he'd use that persona to block himself off. That's really, really interesting. So there were these little bits, okay? The persona, the bits of triangulation, the love enthusiast stuff. I got to say, though, Shala, like I said, anyone can sit here after the fact and do the postmortem and think about, okay, this is what this is. In real time, some of that almost feels quirky, silly. No one, including myself, would say, run away, run away. And especially if it's your friend. In a way, especially in a friend, you definitely don't have the same kind of radar up, right? But two years into a friendship is almost its own form of indoctrination because you hold space for the quirks because that's what they're about, the persona, the love enthusiast stuff, all of that. And now you're two years in, now you're sliding into a, a romantic relationship. It sounds like you did have some healthy boundaries that you were maintaining with him. Would you say that you started this relationship with a decent sense of healthy boundaries? Yeah, I'd say so. And I do remember I did have apprehensions about starting it, but it ultimately came down to this concept of, well, you feel safe around him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, safety is so major feeling safe around people. It doesn't come easily. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you what it was about him that left you feeling safe? I felt like he accepted everything about me. Some of the things that I feel a little bit more self-conscious about. So, you know, the the ADHD, the like not necessarily being 100% sure about what I want to do with my life or, you know, when I first moved back to the area, like staying, I was staying with family or so I kind of felt like even with the the guy dated prior to him, like I always had this mentality that 
I'm not a real adult. <laughs> Hmm. So I think with him, I just felt like I was accepted as I was. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to be a certain type of girl. I didn't have to be super girly or wear makeup all the time or like be dressed to the nines. I could be silly. I could essentially just be me. And Mm -hmm. that was accepted Mm -hmm. by him. And he would even say things like, I love how deeply you feel things, you know? (laughs) So I just, I felt celebrated around him on a holistic Mm -hmm. level. And I didn't feel like I had to be a certain way to be accepted by him. Okay. And it's interesting. I think that that's an important thing almost for anyone listening to this to reflect on is safety means so many different things to so many people. And what I'm hearing from you is safety meant acceptance of, of who you are. All of Mm -hmm. it. Because for other people, safety means different things. And I think that that's such an interesting thing to reflect on. Because when we do feel safe, it's a wonderful feeling, but it also means some of our radar comes down a little bit, too. And again, with a two-year friendship, with friends, I have to say the net of acceptance is often a lot wider than it is in a new intimate relationship. Like little things like how someone chews. We may not notice that in a friend. Like, oh, whatever, it's my friend. But in a relationship, like, wow, I can't do this. And so I think that you had this interesting opportunity of the the much more flexible acceptance that comes from a friendship did create the sense of safety. Okay, so now we're at September 2021. You're like, okay, I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. There's been this sort of bit of a sizzle between us for a few years. But in those two years, you didn't have sex, none of that. It wasn't like you kind of had those lapses. It was two years of a straight, non-sexual friendship, September Mm -hmm. 2021. You know, you say, okay, let's do it. And so you do it. What was the relationship like? I kind of, at that point, thought, okay, if we're doing this, we're doing this. Like, we're all in. And then we started going on date dates. So before Mm -hmm. it was all just kind of like hanging out at his house. And then we started going on actual dates. And there were moments where it just kind of felt like, like I was not a burden, but like that I was clingy or needy. Like if I wanted to hang out with him, he wouldn't outright say like, you want to hang out too much, (laughs) but he would say things like, I never get work done when you're here. You know, I struggle with boundaries and you have to help me with my boundaries. So like there would be times I'd be over his house, we're hanging out and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I I still need to get work. It'll be like 11 o'clock. And he's like, oh, I still need to do this work. And I'm like, well, why didn't she say anything? He's like, well, you know, I'm terrible with boundaries. You have to help me with my boundaries. And I'm like, no, they're your boundaries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I can't enforce your boundaries. Like, I have to worry about my own. Like, I can encourage you, but I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be the one to set your boundaries for you. Or he would say things like, you seem to be okay with, like, wanting to be around people all the time, but I need alone time. But I would tell him, like, I don't want to be, like, a burden. Like, if I'm doing too much, then... let me know or whatever. I remember a conversation where he essentially was telling me that I seem to need to be around people. <laughs> I know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I'm not that social. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I work and then I spend a lot of time alone. And when I want to hang out with you, I make sure my stuff is done and then I hang out with you. And to him, it was like, you're always out and about. You seem to not need alone time, but I need alone time. So it became this, I've always wanted to be with you. And then it became like, you want too much time. And then when I expressed my concern about that kind of sentiment and feeling like I was being a burden, he was like, well, but no, because whenever you leave, then I miss you. And I'm like, oh, I wish she was here. Oh, my goodness. There was so much push and pull. This style is quite fascinating. You're here too much. You're up in my grill. You're getting in the way of me doing stuff. You're like, okay, I don't want to be burdensome. Let me pull back. Oh, no, I miss you so much when you're gone. That actually has a name. It's called an approach avoidance style, all right? So it's actually a thing, and it is reflective of somewhat avoidant or even anxious attachment style, which is something we can see in people with narcissistic personalities. And it goes to this really interesting point for narcissistic people 
people. They see people as objects, right? Mm -hmm. And just like there's a thing in your house you may not need until you need it, and then you want it, and then you put it away until you want it again. I don't know that any of us would be particularly thrilled if our coffee maker waddled up to us at 6 o'clock in the evening and said, hey, why aren't you talking to me? I'd be like, you're my coffee maker. Like, learn your place. Go back on the counter because it's our coffee machine. It's a machine, not a person. But for a narcissistic person, they actually can almost view a person as, I don't want you around now, so disappear. And then when Mm -hmm. I want you around, I want you to reappear. And as a result, Mm -hmm. for a person in a relationship like this, there's this real burden of mind reading, as though you have to anticipate, does this person want me around? Do they not want me around? He won't communicate clearly, and in a way it goes back to that double bind, that if he communicates clearly, that then he's that so-called bad guy again. But if you have to do all the heavy lifting and figure it out, then ultimately you might be the bad one for, oh, how come you didn't come around that much? You didn't, you know, you're you're coming around less or why did you leave? It's you become the issue Mm -hmm. and he's not communicating clearly what he wants because it will make him almost look bad, just like he didn't want to end the relationship with that person at an earlier time. So everything goes into this investment of him looking good. So that's literally, I mean, it's crazy making, right, to live like that. And that approach avoidant style leaves people confused because they're always trying to anticipate that other person's deed. And it sounds like when you were friends, that was never an issue. See, and that's really interesting to me. And like, come over anytime. See? Or yeah. at mm-hmm. one point he's like, move in, which he denied yeah. saying later in the relationship. <laughs> yeah, He's like, move in, come yeah. anytime. Yeah. Let's hang out anytime. Yeah. So now it's you did this dance from November through January. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then what? Did you get into a more even, steady rhythm at that point? Was that part of the dance done? And then what happened from January on? Okay. So January, things kind of started to settle. And then towards the end of January, that was when I expressed that I thought I was falling in love with him. And he agreed. He said, oh, yes, I am too. But we had to take some things into perspective. That was the first major instance of like the gaslighting. So he he named three things that he believed were seemingly insurmountable. All of these things were things that essentially were my responsibility. So one of them was me not wanting kids, which he knew well before we started dating, which he also mirrored while we were friends. The second thing was compatibility in the area of intimacy, which at that point we had not been intimate because he was actually withholding from me (laughs) for those first few months. So I want to understand this because it sounds like you were saying to him at this point, I'm falling in love with you. Mm -hmm. And that led to a cascade of we're not on the same page with kids. We're not compatible in terms of intimacy. Yeah, even though we weren't being intimate. (laughs) Even though you weren't intimate, and he was also (laughs) falling in love with you. But yes, yes. He wanted to have kids to kind of have this perfect, in his mind, he sees like Christmas by the tree and presents and stuff. And I was like, you do know kids are around every day. Like, it's not just (laughs) holidays. You do have to keep them alive. You have to also make sure you don't traumatize them. Like, it's and it costs money. Like, it's not just about these lovey-dovey moments that yep. he wished he had growing up. People tell me I would be a great mom. I'm a teacher, of course. Like, I work with kids. I'm great with kids. That does not mean that I want to have kids, right. nor does right. it mean I should have kids. That's right. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? exactly right. So, obviously, looking back and recognizing the, who I was dealing with, in his mind, probably someone telling him he would be a great father and he would like, oh, this is another thing that would make me look great. So that was the first part. The second part was the discussion around compatibility. Again, he was unable to express his needs. So I'm like, I don't understand how you're concerned about compatibility when we're not even having sex. (laughs) And also, that's not even an issue. Like, you and your partner should talk about the things that you like and explore together what the both of you are comfortable with and you work from there. That's what relationships are about. And yeah, there was a lot of ridiculing on his part, just a lot of 
hurtful things were said. At one point, he told me, like, you knew the relationship I just came out of. Mm -hmm. You're the reason why this might not work. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm offering suggestions. And by offering suggestions, I'm not being understanding of his issues. Or if the suggestion that I offer, I'm going to judge him if he's interested in this thing or that thing. And I'm like, you're projecting that on me because I'm not judging you. Much of what she seems to be experiencing here is what happens in any toxic relationship, which is blame shifting. And in her case, it was coupled with ridicule. All of these things together that she was experiencing, blame shifting, judgment, ridicule, and projection, are standard parts of these relationships. They actually make sense. The questions and conversations about intimacy may have been threatening to him and playing off of his shame and insecurity. And the challenge in these relationships is that if you ping their shame, they will launch into lots of defensive maneuvers to protect themselves even if it hurts the other person. The other problem becomes when the other person in the relationship is willing to justify this behavior. Oh, they're just doing this because they're insecure. If you do that for many years, then you are effectively becoming a long-term committed punching bag, enduring their bad behavior out of a misplaced sense of guilt or empathy. The lack of empathy in these relationships means that they are a one-way street. Lots of empathy for them, none for the other person, and some blame as the cherry on top, a dynamic that is not good for anyone. I'm hearing the absolute confusion. And how did you feel? I mean, you're telling this person, I'm falling in love with you, and you were basically being given a laundry list of reasons why this may not work out. I didn't expect it because I'm like, this guy told me he was into me for two years, like the whole time you were into me. And so I guess walking into it, I was like, oh, like, I just have to be myself. You know what I mean? And yes, we have to work through things, but I just have to be myself. And it ended up becoming a time where I took a week of space and I told him everything I thought. It's like, I felt like I was gaslit. I felt like I was villainized, ridiculed. I felt like I had to earn your love. Like you were telling me, there are these three things that are seemingly insurmountable, which means impossible to overcome. Right. That I have to Mm -hmm. essentially figure out to earn your love. So it was like, I thought I already had that, but then it's like, no, just kidding. Here she is talking about one of the most painful elements of any relationship characterized by antagonism or narcissistic patterns. And that is conditional love. The idea that you have to earn a person's love, jump through hoops for their love, that you are loved because of what you do instead of simply being loved, all of that is conditional love. It's a very unhealthy precedent and is often one that started in childhood for most people. It makes relationships transactional and is a key element of trauma bonding. The idea that if I am better or do better or am more, then I will be loved. So if I am not loved, then that means I am not trying hard enough. And I was like, but why am I not leaving? Maybe I'm not leaving because I feel like this will be the last time I see him. Mm. And I ended up staying. And the next morning, there was like no affection from him at all. And I remember like he was working out and I was just trying to decide, should I just leave? And like, that's it. And he says to me, why are you acting weird? Why are you acting funny? It was just such an odd thing. So yeah, I did ask for a week off of whatever we were doing because I was like, I need to come back to a sense of self, which I said to him. What happened in that week off? Did things change? We didn't talk for that week. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I was doing, I was talking to my therapist, talking to friends, and just trying to make sense of everything. Just trying to understand what was going on. Like, is this okay? Should I consider moving forward? Do I want to end this? I remember feeling a lot of anxiety. So at the end of the week, what happened in your relationship? So like the week's gone by, you're not talking to each other. Okay, then what? So there was a point in the week where I reached out to discuss when we were going to meet up because it was kind of like, let's take a break and like really think, is this what we want to do? So I reached out to check in. Hey, what day do you want to meet up? That kind of a thing. Of course, I asked him how he was doing and he's like, I'm awful. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. just kind of like mopey and stuff. So we met up the following week and I remember him asking me to take photos for him before we sat down. I was mm, like, yeah, that's yep, so yep, weird. Yep, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I look back, mm-hmm. I was like, why are you like, we're discussing like the future of our relationship. Why yeah. are you having me take photos of you for your post? But When we had the conversation, there was a lot of like, that's not what I meant. There was one thing that he did say to me. This is also the first time he had said I was being passive aggressive, the day where I was acting funny. But he said something to me in that kind of like reconnecting conversation, which was, I like to think about the future. If we have an issue, are you going to run off like to your mom's house and not talk to me for an extended period of time. I want to know that if we have issues, you're not just going to run away and not talk to me, which was an odd thing to say. But I think at that point, I wanted things to be okay and I wanted us to move forward. But now, like, looking back, I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I was very clear about how I felt. And I asked for a break. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. that I just disappeared. And I put a time frame on it. This is not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. me running off. So we decided to progress. And it was just kind of, if we're in this, let's both be in this. And he kind of agreed to that. And he said, even like the whole idea about me being responsible for his boundaries, like he even said, I'm not going to do that anymore. What is interesting about what we've heard here is that there is a, an interesting penny drop moment in relationships with people. I mean, and at this point, you know, there's this approach avoidance style. Just when it's almost like you think it's going well is exactly when they'll pull back. And that mm-hmm. really sets up a trauma-bonded dance because you're constantly sort of chasing them. And, and you are actually trying to communicate really, really clearly. Like, these are the things I've been very clear on. I don't want kids. I want us to communicate about intimacy. You're very, very clear. And those things would then get sort of distorted and twisted and confused, especially in the wake of a really big emotional revelation that I'm falling in love with you. And I always say to folks, the falling in love moment, the I love you moment in a toxic or narcissistic relationship is such a revelation because it's exactly then, it's almost as though They know they have you, and that's when it's sort of game on. And I think that's a moment of real devastation for people because they're saying we were actually doing fine before I shared how I really feel. Now I did, and I feel like it's just worse. Even now, up until this point in this relationship, there was a lot of chasing. He was on, he was off. I want to be alone. I don't want to be alone. I want to be alone. I don't want you to leave me. I mean, so it's like there was a lot of stuff. Again, approach, avoidance, abandonment, all those kinds of things. My session with Shala will continue after this break. So as your relationship continued, I am hearing that there was a certain level of exhaustion to it. And although intellectually you seem to hear and know that there were issues with it, there was also some concern after that week when you were out of touch that you wanted it to continue to work, right? Yeah. But things were continuing to unravel. What would you start categorizing as the last straws of your relationship? What were some of those incidents that really said, I can't anymore? So January for me was actually first straw, like first (laughs) or first Mm -hmm. strike. That January conversation was first strike. But I'm like, I'm going to try to be mature and like, I'm going to express how I feel and what I need and give us an opportunity to adjust trying to be mature in relationships. So strike number two was that other incident in March. Then things are good again. And then we go on this vacation at the end of May, around May. I noticed he was like rebranding on social media. So I'm starting to see different types of posts. There was one post about the one that got away. And then it was the post about the young ladies shaking their asses into loom so he could see it. So that was, okay, we need to have a conversation because if we're in a relationship, you're actually posting videos of me 
with you. He had me like in reels and stuff like that. So people were starting to ask questions like, oh, is that your girlfriend? Is that who you're with? So people knew we were together. So mm-hmm. I got to write an article about this amazing world traveler. I did a, like a photo shoot with this clothing swap here and the photos had just come out. Like I was just really feeling great about myself at that time and even shared that with him. And it was a few days after I shared that with him that this post happened. So he posted about single women shaking their asses into Loom so that he could see it, like, and posting it so he could see it. I remember immediately responding to the post and saying, not funny. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, other people thought it was funny, whatever. We had been texting throughout the day. We were both with family throughout that day. He kind of noticed, like, my vibe was different. So he's like, is everything okay? And I was like, I really am a bit bothered by that post. And then his response immediately, oh, so just to be clear, we're still not talking about things we're worried about or concerned about right away. And also because I'm in a relationship, I'm not allowed to post about singleness or like dating anymore. That was his immediate response. And I said, okay. I actually am coming to you as I'm feeling what I'm feeling and let's talk about it in person. I didn't want to have a text conversation because you're with your brother and I'm with my mom right now. And then he praised me for that. He said, oh, I love that you understand that there's a place and time for certain conversations, even though he just like essentially. (laughs) Double bind. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So we had the conversation about the post and it became about, again, it was a joke. Other people thought it was funny. Essentially, I was being too sensitive about this post. This idea of saying something is a joke and painting someone who is hurt or bothered by something as being sensitive or not having a sense of humor is a classical play in toxic relationships. It's a way of leaving you feeling like maybe you are being too serious and not being cool and chill. It's a gaslighting maneuver that allows them to minimize the harm they are doing and painting you as sensitive and humorless. Is he not allowed to post about singleness because he's in a relationship now? Then it became a conversation about objectifying women. Oh, am I not allowed to follow Instagram models? Does that mean I can't watch porn? Does that mean I can't go to strip clubs? Like, where do you draw the line on what I'm allowed to do, essentially? He was actually at one point, like, demanding. So what do you want me to do? Because I want you to feel secure in this relationship. But what do you want me to do? Do you want me to not follow these people? Do you not want me to post about women or post about singleness or or post about sex. And again, he said like something along the lines of comedians post about sex all the time and they're married. I remember saying, well, are you a comedian? I don't even know who you are. Like, (laughs) you know, because it just felt like he kept changing. So when he made his suggestions for what he should do, I was like, I don't know. At one point, he told me I needed to talk to my therapist about how I feel about the objectification of women. He also told me that I made him feel uncomfortable because I made faces at him at times where he talked about me wearing clothing that showed more skin. I wanted to have a conversation about how we communicate in conflict. And that kind of showed me that there was no accountability because I specify, let's have some moment of introspection about how we're communicating in these moments where we're not agreeing on things. And he kind of like prides himself on being impatient. So that was like the one thing that he brought up in his introspection. The other introspection was that he is always willing to do things to make other people happy. And so he felt like this was another situation where he's now forfeiting his happiness and his identity and his authenticity to make me happy, which obviously I didn't feel great about. (laughs) And I even suggested not following him so that he can be his authentic self online. And he did not like that. He then also mentioned that I engage with some of his friends' posts more than I engaged with his, and that was problematic to him. And obviously he had an issue that I didn't share posts about him or post him or post videos with him. So again, it's like you said, this, I can't win. If I let you be your authentic self and post whatever you want and not follow you, 
that's not okay. But if you don't post these things, then that's also not okay because you're not being allowed to be, I'm being controlling. So that's kind of when I realized this has got to end because I just, I didn't see the behavior changing or I didn't see the behavior changing soon enough for me to not be injured more times than I already was. And yeah, that just became a series of conversations about this is what I'm experiencing when we're having these conversations. I am seeing gaslighting. I am seeing, I am seeing blame shifting. I am seeing projection. I remember thinking at times in our relationship that I was too much and not enough. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant characterization, that idea of too much and not enough. And unfortunately, the too much is not a positive thing, right? It's too much. You're, you're mm-hmm. extra. As you talk about this whole thing with him wanting to post these pictures about singlehood, even though he's not, I want to post about these attractive women online, on and on and on. The one thing I didn't hear in the conversation from him is a shred of empathy. Yeah. All I'm hearing him saying is, what's the rule? What's the this? What's the da- that? But at no point am I hearing that this guy is asking you, how are you feeling? How do you feel about this? Because it is humiliating. Yeah. It is degrading. It's devaluing. It is invalidating. It is as though I am running a different life online than with you, and I expect you to be okay with it, but he makes it, and this is very common in these kinds of relationships, tell me the rules, tell me the rules, tell me the rules, with absolutely no regard of how might another person feel about this. This manipulation is actually at a very high level. If you ask me to do these things, not post this and all of that, you're in essence telling me to not be my authentic self, which for someone like you who does have empathy, mm-hmm. nobody who loves somebody would ever want to say to them, well, I don't actually want you to be yourself, but what this fool is saying is myself is to act like a a jerk online that objectifies women, that is posturing and pretending to be a single guy in social media while I'm going to be in a relationship with you outside of that space. And because you both had this sort of interesting understanding that you weren't going to post about your relationship online. And I have to say this particular disconnect is something I'm seeing a lot of people struggle with these days is wanting to pretend to be single online for their brand. And I'm like, yo, if this is how you're playing, this is not a relationship. Because the idea Mm -hmm. of a healthy human being is that you live as a whole person, you know, that yeah. you don't have to put one identity here and one identity there. Like, you are either in in it with someone or you're not. You're either respecting and empathizing with them or you're not. And I think that this idea of behavioral accountability is not something that this person would do. But it sounds like this was it. At this point, the amount of manipulation, the amount of in and out, approach avoidance, double bind, gaslighting, lack of empathy, all of it had sort of reached ahead for you. Yes. How were you physically feeling? Like, how did this affect you in your mind, in your body? Because this is a lot. And you know what's so hard is, in a way, he's kind of arguing in a lawyerly way. This is something that people with these personalities do all the time. They argue like attorneys, right? And that's all very interesting in a court of law. It has no place in a relationship, none whatsoever. Because in a court of law, there's no accounting for feeling or empathy or compassion, okay? But in a relationship, that's all that matters. So he would do all this lawyerly kind of trying to break you down, and it's exhausting if you actually have feelings. Very exhausting. So how were you feeling psychologically and physically as this, as at this point, this thing has gotten so toxic? Yeah. Like you said, I was very exhausted. And I remember even throughout the relationship, constantly saying in therapy, is it supposed to be this hard? Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like, I know that, you know, I don't have as much experience with relationships, but I'm like, is it supposed to be this hard? Like, I'm tired. Like, this is really exhausting. And I do recall between my last annual physical and the end of that relationship, I had gone to the doctor for so many things. Mm, Interesting. GI issues, strep towards the end of the relationship. I I got strep for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was resistant to the first round of antibiotics. Wow. I had lost weight, but I had also had just started my medication journey for ADHD. And so I was just attributing it to the medication 
But there was a season where I took a break from ADHD meds so that I could regain weight. And I was still, I'm underweight right now. I broke out in hives randomly yeah. once. Mm-hmm. Everything that I use on my body has no fragrance. I don't use dryer sheets. Like, So I'm like, why am I breaking out? Like, I don't understand. And looking back, I realized that was my body being like, run, run, run. Yeah. But like, it almost became a running joke at my doctor's office. Like, I went to the doctor so many times. So, yeah, definitely exhausted emotionally, physically, very sad, of course, just recognizing that this relationship is probably not going to work. Yeah. And still, you know, before... (laughs) I went completely no contact. I'm still thinking like, this person cares about me. This person Mm -hmm, loves me. mm -hmm. You know, to the end, he's like, he ordered food. Like after we broke up, he ordered DoorDash for me to make sure I was eating. He's telling me he loves me. He misses me. But he's also, this is where I started seeing him play the victim more. I feel like that I have to be this different, better healed version of myself in order to be essentially good enough for you. Mm -hmm. And I want you to have what you want and what you need. You don't have to change, though. I think you're perfect the way you are. I later found out the narrative that he's been feeding to other people after the breakup was that I dumped him and he doesn't know why. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to go to Mexico a couple weeks later for his birthday. (laughs) He was actively looking for my replacement while telling me he missed me. And not just a random, but like a girlfriend replacement. Mm-hmm. It was just very confusing because I'm like, why? This person is telling me they don't want to hurt me, but they are very unwilling to acknowledge that they're hurting me. I remember crying and just being like, please, can you understand like how you're hurting me? And he was just limp. <laughs> it was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there was nothing. Mm-hmm, if I mm-hmm. ever said anything like gaslighting, he would just go like cold. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like he cannot accept that he's doing anything wrong because it doesn't Correct. fit with the person he wants to be and Correct. wants to see himself as. I just remember saying, this is too familiar. What just happened in my body, too familiar. I have to go. He noticed that and he actually tried to clean up after that moment. He's like, no, no, no. But I want you to know that I understand what you're saying and da, 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 da. But like, yeah, just it's been a lot to process. When I decided to go no contact is because we met up after the breakup. We had gone out to eat. We wanted to discuss if we wanted to still do Mexico because we still had fun, even though times were hard. And he embarrassed me in front of a bakery, essentially a young lady mentioned that we looked cute and she wanted to call her husband because we were such a vibe. And he announced to the bakery that she just broke up with me. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. when I was like, oh, Mexico can't happen because you're really unpredictable right now and you are just mm-hmm. grasping. Like, this is wild. Like, you're not telling them why we broke up. <laughs> you know, you're telling a bunch of random people. He laughed in my face when I told him it was embarrassing. He hadn't told any of his friends. In fact, I found out later the one friend he supposedly told, he actually told her that I asked for space and he was hoping we'd get back together. So it was definitely a lot of like the post breakup stuff, but just constant anxiety every single day. The grief of knowing that even the good moments were really just manipulation. You know, the (laughs) self-blame as Mm -hmm. out of this world. Mm -hmm. Because I can pinpoint moments where I was like, that's odd. Or he didn't really show empathy towards his friend in that situation. Is he going to be like that with me? Do you feel more anxious or do you feel more resolved? And why is that not happening in this relationship? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I have to give credit to the healthy relationships in my life. I'm very grateful for because I could compare and say, okay, I don't feel this way around these people. (laughs) This is unique. This person is increasing my anxiety. Like, and no one's responsible for removing my anxious feelings, of course. But if I'm with someone and I'm becoming more anxious because I'm around that person, like, that's probably telling. (laughs) Even if you express a real need or any real feedback, a feeling, it would be, you think I'm a monster, right? So all these things block any form of conversation. But at the end of it, though, the relationship ends, 
you know, you recognized it had reached its limit. And you did that in less than a year, which is actually a good thing because you can see how people can get really confused in these relationships and keep going around and around. Well, maybe I should try this. Maybe I didn't say this right. Uh, Maybe I'll try it this way. You keep chasing and chasing. Ultimately, you hit your wall. And it sounds like, did you end it? Did he end it? Did you mutually end it? (laughs) There are actually moments where I'm not even sure. (laughs) You're not even sure. Okay, all you know is done. Yeah. I, you know, I was the one who prompted the ending of it. Okay. And so then you ended it and then you did meet him again one last time, Mm -hmm. you know, in that sense of, all right, maybe we could still have this trip. We started as friends. Maybe we could end as friends. Right there is the the crux of the issue. Mm -hmm. These personality styles do not change. This is the behavior. And I'll tell you, had you stayed another five years, 10 years, 20 years, it would have been the same patterns. You know, and I think the grief is for somebody who stays. One year is actually a nice amount of time because one year is almost like, okay, I didn't put that much time into it. And it takes about that long to get enough data to know it probably won't change and to clearly see all of the toxic patterns repeatedly enough so you don't doubt yourself when you decide to get out. Obviously, shorter is better, but a year is kind of expected in these kinds of relationships. But the people who do say five, ten, 15 years will often say, shoot, you know, this was so clearly a pattern two years in, three years in, Mm. and now I've put a lot of time into it. And then that was that. So you went no contact, which it's a strategy response that's not available to a lot of folks coming out of these relationships, especially if they have sort of shared children, a shared business, and even shared friends can make it hard, right? And I'm sure that's not always easy because (laughs) you do have mutual, you know, people who know each other. But many yes. people will say if you can go no contact, it really is, you You describe something different. Initially, you were flooded by a recognition of everything you had just gone through. And I'm glad you put it that way because that initial flood actually can overwhelm you because if you keep having contact with them, they keep coming up with their usual rationalizations and it stops yes. the flood, right? Because now they're giving you another explanation and it almost allows you to soften it. But if you mm-hmm. go no contact, it's a bit of a tidal wave that comes over you where you're saying, oh my, what the heck just happened. And you do, you feel, not only do you ruminate, but you feel anxious. It, it, it's not like I went no contact and I felt better overnight. If anything, mm-hmm. you go no contact and now your brain and your body and your mind and your psyche have a minute to say without anything blocking it, everything that happened. So how have you been doing? Now you've been no contact for a little while. How are you feeling now? Do you feel like the hypervigilance has improved or any of your fears are are baiting or where are you at? I definitely feel a lot better. (laughs) So when we last spoke, that was about a month in and that was actually around the time where I started to see like a turning point with the anxiety. So there are moments where I'm like, good. And then there's things that happen that I'm just like, oh, when is this going to be over? (laughs) But I have a a second therapist now who specializes in EMDR. I've read way too many books (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about narcissism and recovering from narcissistic abuse. I'm part of a support group on Facebook, which has been really helpful. I'm going to be talking to an IPA counselor soon, intimate Mm -hmm. partner abuse counselor soon, just to, it took me a while to actually accept the fact that I was essentially in in (laughs) an abusive relationship. Like I could Mm -hmm. say it, but it didn't really connect. So Yeah, just kind of navigating all of the different emotions and letting the emotions come as they come and feeling them. I started kind of exploring that relationship, but okay, what do I need? Go to the hot tub, like, or went to the gym and used like their whirlpool or steam room, went to get a massage, like just trying to like make sure that I'm listening to myself. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel Mm -hmm. like I didn't do that, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. even though I spoke up in the relationship and I challenged my ex. And I think that's part of why I was able to see something so glaringly. I still did not listen to myself for a long time. And so just making sure that I'm doing that has been very big and trying to be patient because I want to be OK like tomorrow <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I know it's going to take some time and mm-hmm. I don't know how long. I do not trust men right now at all. (laughs) I've had people come to me and they're like, wow, I 
got a lot to think about with regard to what I'm going through right now, or I've gone through this as well. And so that's, that's been very, all of that's been very healing. So I think it's just a matter of time now, because I feel like I'm doing a lot of things. I don't know. (laughs) It's great. It is that you are doing a lot of things. And I think that's what healing is about is doing all of those things. It's not just a singular path. I cannot thank you enough for the generosity of your time, of your story, of you know, of letting people know that no matter how you set the boundaries, somehow a person wants to find their way in, they will. And for us to learn about ourselves, trust ourselves, and again, ultimately find that safety in ourselves. So thank you so much. I'm very grateful to you for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Shala. Thank you. Thank you. Here are my takeaways from Shala's story. First, whether you know someone well or not, always be a little wary when you enter a relationship at a transitional time of your life, after a breakup, moving to a new city, or moving back from time away or starting a new job. At those times, we are often seeking stability, safety, consistency, and just something to help us feel better or have something to look forward to. Shala admits that she was at a transitional time, despite them being friends when they entered the relationship, and she was seeking a soft place to land, which made the relationship attractive. But the comfort can sometimes block us from seeing red flags. Conditional love is a standard feature of all toxic and narcissistic relationships. These are often very transactional relationships where love feels like it needs to be earned. People who grew up with conditional love, and this is often something that happens with distracted, egocentric, or narcissistic parents, is that we feel as though we need to earn their love or jump through hoops to even be seen. Without even noticing it, we may find ourselves sliding into conditional cycles and feeling we have to perform or do what the other person wants to be loved. This is the core of the trauma bond, so be aware of this pernicious cycle. Love in the age of social media makes for a really difficult landscape, and in a narcissistic relationship, it can feel impossible. That idea of maintaining different identities to get validation, for example, as in her story, her partner sort of pretending to be single on social media, is very uncomfortable and hurtful in a relationship. In addition, it is often the touch point of so many arguments. Why didn't you like my post? Why do you like more of my friends' posts? And it's also a space where people may feel disrespected or that they are in an alternate universe with their partner. Navigating this mess with a narcissistic person is not easy. It really comes down to how they use social media, or if they have it at all. If they're using it for validation, then anything that you do that seems to threaten that water spigot of admiration is going to cause a fight. Realistic expectations are necessary. And if it's early enough in the relationship and this keeps becoming an argument, reflect on the fact that this person's virtual world is more important than your real-life feelings and go from there. I recommend to every client I work with who is in or recently got out of a narcissistic relationship to get a physical exam if they haven't had one in a while. The stress of these relationships literally do make us sick. Headaches, muscle aches, difficulty sleeping, hair loss, and gastrointestinal issues are not uncommon. And if you have an existing health condition, the unremitting stress of a toxic relationship can exacerbate your symptoms. At a minimum, you want to rule out that your health symptoms are not symptoms of something more severe, because many folks in narcissistic relationships, not surprisingly, don't take very good care of their health. While your healthcare provider can't surgically remove this relationship from your life, at least ensure that you stay on top of any health changes and symptoms and work with them on stress management techniques that may help with your health. And if you can disengage and distance from this relationship, all the better. 
A big thank you to our executive producers, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Fallon Jethro, Ellen Rakuten, and Dr. Romani Dervasala. And thank you to our producer, Matthew Jones, associate producer, Mara De La Rosa, and consultant, Kelly Ebeling. And finally, thank you to our editors and sound engineers, Devin Donahue and Calvin Bailiff. Thank you.